So, salvation has come in the shape of the God-man Jesus coming down to earth to save wretched sinners like us. He took on flesh. He lived the perfect life. He died a perfect death. And he rose again so that we could find salvation in him. So I ask you this. What do you cheer about the most? What makes you rowdy, makes you cheer, makes you shout? What gets you out of your seat? If you're from Boston, it could have been when the Bruins won the Stanley Cup. You were rowdy. I saw people were making like paper mache Stanley Cups and throwing them on their lawn. People were rejoicing. They were down at the parade. They were going wild. Or maybe when the Celtics won the championship in 2008, you went crazy, you rejoiced, you got up, you cheered. Those are all good things. I cheered myself, specifically with the Celtics. But I had to cheer for the Bruins too, even though I'm not a huge hockey fan. When Boston wins anything, I go wild. But there's something of far greater significance that we should rejoice over. Now we receive sports and those things that make us cheer and bring us joy. We, we receive those with happiness. Enjoy those things. But there's something of far greater significance. An event that happened that we should be rejoicing and cheering over. And that should have our highest affections. And that is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His incarnation that he came to this world to save us. It's something we should rejoice over. It's something that should bring us great joy in him. Now, in order to feel that joy, you have to feel the weight of your sin. You have to believe that the scriptures say that the wrath of God will be poured out on anyone that does not repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ and lives in open rebellion against God. So you have to feel the weight and believe the words of Jesus and believe the words of God revealed in Scripture to feel the weight of your sin, the weight of this world, the weight of the wrath and the consequences to come for all who reject and don't put their faith in Jesus. Because it's when you feel that reality, that truth that God has revealed to us through love, that you feel the freedom and the liberation and the joy and the triumph that comes when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because all the weight is lifted off. You realize, you know what? I'm not perfect. You know what? I have sinned. You know what? I'm going to sin again. But Jesus has taken it all on the cross on him on Calvary and has rose again to defeat death and to give us life. You stop rejoicing. Your whole life changes. You want to tell people about it. You want to spend your energy doing it. You cheer more for Jesus. You are a fan of Jesus more than anything else in this world. When you feel that way. So when I was younger, we went on a trip to the beach. And this little beach had like a dock that went out. And when you're a kid, you see a dock, you just want to run and launch off it. You know, there's no thought to it. I had to be four or five years. I don't know how old I was, but I know when they dropped my feet on that sand, I just started running. Just looking for stuff to run. You know when you're a kid? Like I saw little Ezra running around. You know, you don't know where you're going, but you're excited about it. I saw this dock. And I took off like a torpedo, ran off that dock, and it just seemed like a good idea to jump off this dock with everything I had. Little did I know as a kid, I didn't know how to swim. So I'm like running down, freedom, kid, boom, let go. As I'm in the air, I realize I don't know how to swim. I hit that water. It was a great jump. But I'm under that water, and all I remember is I don't know how to swim. And I don't think anyone was paying attention to the fact that I just... Bomb dived off the dock. So I'm sitting there and I'm under there. And I started to say to myself, this ain't looking good. 
You know, I, I can't get back to the top. And so I went from this feeling inside of me of help me. I need someone to help me. I got no one's here. No one knows. I'm drowning in all these things. And all of a sudden, I see this lifeguard come into the water. And I see her swimming towards me. And I'm just like, get me. And she lifts me out of there and she saved me. And I was just went from help me, save me, to someone save me. I'm rescued. I'm alive. And I'm telling everyone. I told my mom. She had no idea. Mom, I just almost drowned. I'm telling my uncle's brother. I was almost dead and now I'm alive. That's what we're rejoicing in today. That we went from the fact that we're yelling out, help me, save me, send a savior, rescue us. To the fact that we have been rescued, we have been saved, and now we rejoice because God is victorious. The Savior has come, the Messiah has come, the King is here to rescue us. And these are why the people, this is why the people are gathering here today. Because they know the Messiah is entering the holy city of Jerusalem. They come with their palms. They come rejoicing. They come saying, salvation, salvation, salvation has come in the shape of the God-man, Jesus. Now, this is greater than any entrance you've ever seen in your life. I was trying to think back to some of my favorite entrances I've seen. And I'm sorry to say, it was when I went to the WWF event when I was a kid. And I'm in the Boston Garden with my stepfather. And everyone knows Macho's one of my favorite. But there was another one who was my favorite. No one beats the Macho, man. I can't lie to you. But there were other guys that got you out of your seat, too. And all of a sudden, we're sitting in there, and all the lights go out. And see if you guys can guess who's coming in. All the lights go out, and you hear that symbol, dong, dong, the undertaker's coming. I'm going wild. The people are going wild. People are getting out of the chair. I couldn't believe the volume of the place. I was this little kid, like, when he entered the place and the lights were popping off here and there, so you see him coming in, the place went wild. Now, amplify that times infinity. This is how much the people were going wild that day for Jesus, the God-man, the Messiah, the King of Israel, who came to save the world. So I want you guys today to have your affections for Jesus, your affections for the gospel, your affections for your salvation stirred. So we worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you are fueled for a life of mission, bringing glory to God and finding joy in that salvation today. Maybe you're someone who feels like you're drowning. You're either drowning in your sin, you're drowning in the suffering from this world, maybe you're going through something. I want you to realize that the work is finished and that salvation has come for you. Not only for those who need to repent and put their faith in Jesus for initial salvation, but we as believers in Jesus need to hear the gospel every day to find life and truth and fuel to live. Every day. Sometimes our spirits get down. Sometimes our faith is shaken. And we need to hear the gospel again and rejoice in that. And I hope you find life in that today. And your affections are stirred for the Almighty God. So let's turn to John chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 12 and verse 13. It says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So it's important that we talk about who made up this crowd? 
Because we've, we've seen a lot of crowds gather around Jesus as we've gone through this gospel. Some of these crowds gathered and they're booing. They don't like Jesus. They think he's blasphemous. Some people come to persecute. Some people come to throw stones. Some people come to rejoice. Today, this crowd that is gathering to make much of Jesus are people who are tremendously enthusiastic about the person and the work of Jesus. They're people who have been directly affected by the ministry of Jesus. Most likely from the region of Galilee where he did a majority of his ministry. They have seen his signs. They have seen his wonders. They have seen the blind see and the dead rise and lepers healed. And he's preached more powerful than any teacher or preacher they have ever heard. They are enthusiastic. When someone has affected your life, you're much more enthusiastic about their arrival and their entrance. And they're here to make much of Jesus. So, for example, if you were a Boston Celtics fan in the 80s, there's no way you weren't excited about Larry Bird. Whether it was him scoring 60 against the Atlantic Hawks and them slapping each other five, or him leading us to three championships, or him stealing the ball and passing it to DJ, or when he started to get older, he laid out and banged his head against the Pacers, and he went to the locker room and came back to lead them to a victory. I watched 50 Greatest Moments of Larry Bird this week, so I'm fresh on all my facts. But you couldn't have Larry enter the garden. You couldn't even now, old man Larry, if he came in the garden, people would still get out of their seats and cheer. Because Larry Bird, in a much less significant way, affected people's lives. Because we'll spend our Friday nights or our Sunday afternoons cheering for them against the Lakers. When he made a buzzer beater, or he laid out, or he just you know, set an example for what we are in Boston, working hard, laying it up all on the line. He affected our life. Therefore, we cheer for Larry Bird. These people so much more were affected by the Messiah Jesus. And they came here to wave their palms, to yell in a way that you've never heard yelling. So the tense in which this word is used denotes that it was persistent, loud, raucous, rowdy yelling. More than you ever heard. Not people coming and putting their church and religious face on. People were just out of control like, Jesus, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel had come. They had heard about him and they came here to be rowdy. Now what were they crying out? Hosanna. Now this was so exciting to really understand what Hosanna means. Because sometimes you'd be in church all your life, your parents bring you to church. You hear things like hallelujah and hosanna and blessed be the nameth. And you say to yourself, hey, that's how we talk around here. But you don't really know what it means. Let's talk a little bit about what hosanna means. If you could turn with me to Psalm 118, Okay, what it says here is, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So in its simplest definition at that time, it meant save me, I pray, Lord. It was like a cry for help, like if you're drowning, 
Like when I was drowning that time, when you're really going under, yelling out in desperation, save me, someone rescue me, I have no hope. There's no one else around to save me, I need a rescuer. So picture someone drowning and someone yelling out Hosanna during this time, save me, I pray, help me. Now something amazing happened in the original language among the Jews, that phrase went from meaning, just save me, I pray, to salvation, salvation, salvation has come. So it went from the crying out of help me, save me, O Lord, like you're drowning, to like I was. Someone saved me. Salvation has come. They rescued me from drowning. Salvation is here. So what they are doing that day is saying, salvation is here in the form of the God-man Jesus. The Messiah has arrived. He has come to rescue us. Now imagine hundreds, hundreds, thousands of of years of the people of Israel crying out for a Messiah, crying out for a Savior who will liberate them, who will be their king, who will bring them success. And finally they say to themselves, it has been fulfilled in Jesus This is not just, oh, I'm excited for the day. This is years and years of slavery and captivity and fighting to be their own nation and crying out to God, and now the Messiah has arrived. They're going wild, wild, crying out, it is finished. Salvation has come. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? The beauty of the gospel is not that we have to wake up every day and say, help me be saved today, Lord. Help you to love me today. Help that I'm pleasing to you today. The beauty of the gospel is you wake up and you say, it is finished. I am loved. It is finished. I am forgiven. It is finished. I am a child of God. Because salvation, salvation, salvation has come. And they yelled out, blessed be the one. Let me read that out to you guys. Let's turn back to John. Chapter 12. And it's almost the same as you read it in the. In the Psalms that we just read, Psalm 118, 25, and 26, it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So what are they saying when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? They are recognizing and identifying that Jesus is the promised one, the unique one, the chosen one, the Messiah. The Messiah was who they were waiting for. You've got to understand How big, how significant, how weighty this was to them. This was everything they hoped for. This crowd was going crazy. They said, even the king of Israel. This is our king. This is the one we waited for. This is the one we hoped for. Hosanna, our rescuer, our savior. Salvation is here. I don't know if you've ever been through something that's been tremendously hard. You've suffered. You've been through trials. And how you feel when you feel like there's no hope and no one's going to come and save you. The trip from the emotions of being on the bottom to being on the top are miraculous. You go from saying, there's no hope. No one's going to save me. No one's going to help me. And then when Jesus shows up on the scene, everything changes because salvation is here. There is nothing like that on earth. Let's read verses 14 and 15. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Let's turn to Zechariah 9.9. 9. 
I just want you guys to see how the Bible flows so well together. Make sure we're not making up stuff here. <laughs> this is a direct quote of the Old Testament. What's beautiful about the whole thing is that it was prophesied over 500 years prior that Jesus would ride in on a donkey. 500 plus years they prophesied that Messiah would come in on a donkey. And I just want to read you this scripture that was written 500 years before the triumphal entry. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. So I'm saying rejoice, Israel. Rejoice, God people. Salvation has come riding on a donkey. Humble. Now, why do you ride in on a donkey, man? Now, if I was coming in a triumphal entry, I've got to be honest with you, I'd be all about the war horse, metal on his head, mane spiked up, metal on the sides. I'd even buck him a little bit so everyone saw me. That's what I would be all about. If I'm going to make a triumphal entrance, you know, I'm going to do it right in my eyes. He comes in on a donkey. Isn't this Jesus' style? God coming in flesh as a baby, humble as a carpenter, of no reputation. The donkey was known as an animal that peacemakers would ride in on to make peace. Priests would ride in on them. People who were working on treaties would ride in on donkeys. He was showing that. He was a humble nature. He didn't come to bring war. He came to bring peace. The greatest peacemaker who ever walked the earth. Jesus enters in on this donkey. And for the first times we see, he does not refuse the praise of the people. He welcomes it because it's time. It's his time. Unbelievable what's going on here. I'm always amazed by the way God works. He says the last will be first and the first will be last. That his son, his savior, will come as a man and suffer and bleed and be whipped and be murdered. That he'll ride in on a donkey. That he'll work as a carpenter. That he'll take ridicule. That he'll take persecution. God does not see things like we see things. God does not work like the way we think he should work. He works so much more powerfully. That's why Jesus came in on a donkey. Throwing the world upside down once again. In the best possible way. So let's read verse 16, going back to John. I want to see how fast you guys are going back and forth because I'm a lot slower than I expected. In verse 16, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. It's important for us to note that the disciples were human that they were still working through all this stuff. They probably didn't expect to be disciples of the Most High God, Jesus becoming flesh, you know. I'm a fisherman. I thought this was going to be a laid-back life. All of a sudden, I'm one of the chosen 12 that's watching the Messiah, God's only son, live out his life. They're seeing this stuff, and they're thrown back just like everyone else. And they're not fully comprehending what's going on as it's going on. They know it's significant. They know it's powerful. They know it's miraculous. But they're saying to themselves, 
what does this mean? And they would start to put stuff together as God the Holy Spirit would reveal it to them. As Jesus was glorified, they'd start gradually growing and saying, oh, now that makes sense. Oh, I get how that scripture fits in there. Oh, I know how Jesus fulfilled that. And I want to say that because I want you guys to know that as a follower of Jesus, as someone that's seeking and hungry to learn more about God, we learn things gradually. We don't all of a sudden put our faith in Jesus and we know and understand everything from the beginning to the end. You'll be working through stuff. You'll be asking questions. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will reveal stuff through Scripture to you. And that's okay. That is absolutely okay. You don't have to have it all figured out. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus and trust that God will little by little show you the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what the gospel is and how awesome Jesus is. Like, so I've been following Jesus now for 15 years. If you asked me 15 years ago about some of the stuff that I understand today, I'd be like, I don't know. I just know he died on the cross, man. That's okay. And 15 years from now, if God gives me 15 more, I'll know more then. But even when I go to my grave, I say, Jesus, you still got to teach me a few things because I got a few questions. But I trust you with every word. And I trust your revealed scripture. And I know that you are God. And I know that you saved me. And I know you defeated death. And I know I'm going home to be with you. And you're the treasure. Nothing else. And that's okay. I want you guys to know that. Let's move on to verse 17. In 18, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done the sign. So this is a different crowd than the crowd that gathered right at the beginning. But the, the, the parade is so rowdy and people are going out through the land and talking about it that now more crowds are gathering. So this crowd is made up of people who saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They saw the sign and they said to themselves, there's something about this guy. And they hear that there's a parade, there's a celebration going on, and they go there to witnesses and to be part of it. But the important note that you need to see now is that this parade was causing commotion. And guess who was watching from afar and who was tremendously bothered by this parade? The Pharisees, the religious leaders who really, it seems like their sole mission in this life was to cause Jesus to fail. They were plotting to kill him. They wanted to fame him. They were persecuting him. They were plotting against him in every aspect. They were saying that he was a blasphemer. They were saying that he was doing his work by the work of Satan and the work of demons. They wanted Jesus to fail. Imagine what this scene looked like to them. They said, are you kidding me? Just in the previous text, They were planning to kill him. (laughs) Now people are worshiping them. Now they're laying down palms. And why were they laying down palms? We asked ourselves this question. Why are there palms back there that no one's grabbing? (laughs) You see in Leviticus 23, 40, they were used at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And you see Revelation 7, 9, that many were standing before the throne of God with palms in their hand. Palms were emblem of victory and triumph. Palms meant victorious. Palms meant triumph. And what they are saying here, that God has been victorious by sending his Messiah and sending salvation to us. That's why they're waving the palms. That's why they're dropping the palms. That's why they're holding the palms, because they're saying Christ has triumphed. 
Jesus is victorious. That's what we're doing today. We're rejoicing in the fact that Jesus was victorious, that he died and rose again, that the work is finished. This is something to cheer about. Let's read this last verse here. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So they make two, like, it's one sentence, but we can break it down to two parts we really want to look at, where it says, you see that you are gaining nothing. They're basically saying, look, our whole mission in this life, what we were working for, it has failed. We have failed. We were trying to kill Jesus at this point. We were trying to make it so people wouldn't worship him at the Messiah, as the Messiah. We did not want people to go after Jesus like this. We didn't want people rejoicing in him and shouting Hosanna and identifying him as the Messiah and lifting him up as king. We did not want this to happen. We failed. So they start with that. And imagine that feeling for the self-righteous vipers. We failed. We couldn't stop him. And then they say this, this amplified, magnified statement, the whole world has gone after him. The question I ask myself is, how can people resist Jesus? Not how can people follow Jesus. I'm, of course, I'm on the other side of the coin. I'm on the other side where I'm totally, my whole life, I could imagine living without the joy, even though I did for part of my life, the joy of Jesus, the treasure of the gospel, the hope in the gospel, the salvation that he brings around God's people, rejoicing in that. So I, my whole life is going after Jesus, and many of you whole life is going after Jesus. So part of me says, how can the world resist this gospel of free grace? God's not even saying, come and be perfect. God's not even saying, come and never ever sin again. God's not saying, come and earn it. God's saying, I have earned it. I have finished it. Come and rejoice in the work I have done. I have showed you that God is love. I have suffered on your behalf. I have taken the wrath and the punishment that was yours to bear. How can you resist it? How does the world not go after this kind of God? I'm always blown away by that. The one and only holy God gave his only son to suffer and be murdered at our hands so that we could experience salvation and be brought back in the relationship with God. How can we resist? Please don't resist. Please don't. Go after him. Go after him with everything you are. There is nothing that will bring you more joy, more satisfaction, more life than Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Basically, what they're stating is the truth, the truth that will always be and live eternally, that Jesus is victorious. So I want us today just to recognize that we needed a Savior And we got a Savior beyond our wildest imagination. This is truth and this is life. That we rejoice in the fact that we were drowning in our sin. That we were drowning in hopelessness. That we were drowning in the sufferings of this world, even sins done against us. But God loved us before we even loved him and sent his son to save us so that we can cry out, salvation, salvation, salvation has come. And salvation is here in the shape of the God-man Jesus. Also, if you're someone who feels like they're drowning in their sin, a drowning in hopelessness, today is the day you go from that drowning person 
to that person who rejoiced in the fact that you've been lifted out of the water, out of your sin, out of death, out of suffering, and held by Jesus, who is your Savior. So Restoration Road, let's rejoice today in that. Let's rejoice in the goodness of God. And let's rejoice in the fact that it is finished and that salvation is here and that Jesus has rescued us. Amen.